Welcome back to Central Coast Stories. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm your host, Kayleen Bell. I'm a journalist, audio producer, storyteller, and I live on the Central Coast. And I'd like to acknowledge the Aboriginal land on which this podcast is produced and also pay my respects to the Aboriginal people who walked on this country. If you missed last week's episode, I encourage you to have a listen. And I want to thank everybody for their feedback and comments and sharing what was a very important episode on perimenopausal depression, including the lovely Shelley Horton, who put it onto Instagram. So today's guest is Dr. Ash Bowden, who calls himself Dr. Dumore, and he's an emergency doctor on the Central Coast. And the reason I spoke to Dr. Ash Bowden today is his Move Against Cancer campaign. He says on his website... Dr. Dumore and Cancer Council invite you to join the Central Coast's Biggest Step Challenge from September 1st until September 30th. We want as many Coasties as possible to come together in teams to step it out and help raise much-needed funds for cancer research. And you can find that at www.do-more.live. He's on a mission to help people just move more. The World Health Organization recommends just 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity each week. This is something 55% of adults in Australia are not achieving. He's also going to talk about his Do More Activity search engine in detail, which he created in 2019. There's over 600 activities listed there on the Central Coast for people to try. He And his reason for doing this was to empower everyone to find movement that suits them. And he says, if you've not found a movement you enjoy, then you've just not found it yet. He said in today's episode, he's even tried pole dancing. And Dr. Dumore encourages you to get out and have a go. Be curious, be playful, try something new and have fun doing it. That's his overarching message. The World Health Organization says for a healthy heart and mind, you need to be active. To keep your muscles, bones and joints strong, you need to sit less and build strength. To reduce your chances of falls, you need to improve balance. And also the World Health Organization says something is better than nothing. Start small and build up gradually. Just 10 minutes at a time provides benefits. Dr. Ash Bowden says increasing the amount of physical activity can help you achieve a greater level of health and happiness. Exercise doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be intense and you don't have to be an athlete to join in. It's about moving your body with the intention of getting healthier. His enthusiasm for movement was very contagious and has certainly inspired me. Now to today's chat with Ash. Well, good morning, Dr. Drewmore. <laughs> Thanks for joining me in Central Coast Stories. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. Now, why do people call you Dr. Drewmore? I'm wary it's a bit of a self-proclaimed name, but essentially... My passion is about promoting movement and encouraging people to do more, do more physical activity. Um, And as a doctor working in emergency, it sort of came together as Dr. Do More. Um, And that seemed to be quite catchy. And that's that's what I am on social media now. Is that what you're called at work? Sometimes, usually as a joke. Um, But there have been the the overhead announcements sometimes where people have said, can Dr. Do More come to recess one? Truly? (laughs) Truly, but we try and keep it a bit more professional. What is your real name? 
So my real name is Ash Bowden or Dr. Ash Bowden. Are you actually a doctor? Yes, yeah, I am. Good question. Some people think it's all a show, but no, I am I am a doctor. What kind of doctor are you? Um, I am a doctor of medicine. So I've been through medical school and done a degree in sport and exercise science as well. Um, and so at the moment, I'm a doctor in emergency, still training in the emergency pathway. Okay, an emergency at Wyong Hospital? Um, Wyong and Gosford initially, but I work all around the country. Um, so I do what's called locum work, which is where essentially I, f- I fill in gaps, which helps keep my time flexible. Um, but at the moment, I'm based on the Central Coast. Yeah, great. So why did you decide to call yourself Dr. Doomore? For me, I, I became passionate about promoting physical activity, the benefits of movement um, and looking into sort of where the benefits lie. It wasn't about making people athletes, wasn't about making people marathon runners and CrossFit athletes. It was actually just getting people to do more, to go from sitting on the couch to going for a 5K walk. It wasn't about huge levels of physical activity. It was just about getting people to do more. And that's where the name sort of came from. And it really resonated. I thought this is a much more achievable task. Everyone doesn't need to be super fit to get the physical and mental health benefits of movement. We just need to get people to do more. Right. I think one of the stumbling blocks to exercise can be we are supposed to exercise for 45 minutes or a day or whatever. To some people, that's just unachievable. Then you think, well, I won't do anything. Yeah, and that's one of the things that interests me most of all, thinking about the barriers to movement. And I say movement rather than exercise on purpose because a lot of people think exercise and we think that's oh, that's going to the gym and I don't like the gym or that's going for a run and I'm not a runner. When actually exercise is just physical activity with the intent of improving our health. That's how I like to simplify it. So really we can just call it movement, movement with intention. Yeah. And when we think about it like that, we do movement all the time, whether we walking around at the shops or gardening or going for a walk with friends, or even if it is what you'd call exercise, riding a bike or going for a run. We do so much movement in our day and thinking about it more like that can limit the barriers. And once we start removing those barriers, we can then say, actually, I probably can get 30 minutes of movement in most days. Here's some benefits that Dr. Ash Bowden shared with me. In depression, exercise has been found as effective as treatment with antidepressant medication. According to the World Health Organization, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Now, I will mention there also, please see your GP if you have depression so that you get the right treatment for you as well. All types of physical activity reduces the risk of cancer of the bladder, endometrium, esophagus, kidneys, lungs and stomach, among others. It improves, maintains fitness during chemotherapy, improves outcomes from surgery, improves mortality. Physical activity improves cognitive function and reduces the risk of dementia. A meta-analysis with more than 33,000 participants found that greater amounts of physical activity were associated with a 38% reduced risk of cognitive decline. That's huge. 40% reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. And also, regarding chronic disease and all-cause mortality, all-cause mortality means dying from anything. So how does physical activity help there? Well, pain scores, physical function and health-related quality of life are all improved with increasing levels of physical activity and the reduced all-cause mortality by up to 30%. 
we know that as little as 10 minutes at a time can do something for us, can have a positive impact on our mental health and even physical health. And so that's barely anything. We can get through 10 minutes without realising. I know. And I just read this book called The Upgrade because my last episode was about perimenopausal depression and I'm in that journey. So our minds are very powerful and this book is all about the mind actually in transition. It's excellent. And she's a neuropsychiatrist. Oh, cool. And she talks about the effects of movement on um, our bodies mm. and that our bodies love and crave snack size portions. Yeah, love that. Of movement. It's revolutionized my thinking. Where I might have asked my husband, can he get something for me? I get up and get it myself. Yeah, because now you think, oh, this is going to be a benefit for me. This, Even this little thing. And because it's snack size. Yes. We're re- reducing those barriers. It's not this big scary thing that, right, three times a week I need to take myself to some scary place to move for two hours at a time. No, you don't need to do that. No, I just got to walk up the stairs. Exactly. Go get your own (laughs) food upstairs or whatever it was. And the book that I just mentioned to Ash is The Upgrade by Dr. Luen Brizendine. It is about menopause, but there is a lot in this book about the benefits of movement on our brain. I just want to read this little bit. After just one exercise session, your brain responds by putting out more neurotransmitters like endorphin, dopamine, noradrenaline and serotonin, all of which raise your mood as soon as you towel off. And this becomes protective against persistent melancholy. A single workout is capable of amping up our ability to focus for at least two hours afterwards and improves reaction time. It's a great weapon against reflexes slowing with age. And even if you haven't been very physically active before, exercise will bring benefits at any age. Can we just talk about the benefits? I shared that story just to talk about the benefits of uh, movement for mental health. What have you learnt? This has been by far the biggest area of impact for me. As a doctor, I was always taught exercise and lifestyle changes reduce physical health risks, right? We talk about diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and it just sounds so academic and droll and and boring, really. And it's still very important. I'm not taking that away. But I don't think anyone gets out of bed and thinks, today I'm going to reduce my risk of diabetes. No one's really doing that. And I'm sure someone will prove me wrong one day. But what we do, in fact, is we think about how we're going to feel good. What's going to make me happy today? All the time. Right? We, we chase uh, that sort of feeling of contentment and, and, and that can come through movement. And so the impact of physical activity, of movement on our mental health is huge. And for me, that's more important because the other benefits will come. But what's more important than feeling good about our day, feeling clear-minded, whether it's through the connection that we have with people that we're moving with or whether it's just from the act of it itself. You have a whole website about this where people can look up activities. We'll come back to that. But it can be anything you enjoy, the movement. Completely. There's so many things we can do. And it's really easy to overcomplicate it. And I don't think we need to. It's the same with exercise, why I don't really like saying exercise. Loads of people feel like it's intimidating. It's got a connotation of expectation. And exercise is often just about all about the numbers. 
And you've got to achieve. Completely. I completely agree. And I think if we can reframe that, that'd be great. But in the meantime, why don't we just think about movement? Talk about movement, because then we can think about it more as the journey rather than the destination. And you just enjoy what you do. And whether it's because you enjoy it because it's sociable or because you like the movement itself, whether you're dancing, whether you're gardening, whatever it is, um, there's so much we can gain from it without looking at the outcome, without focusing on the number on the scales. or Exactly. There's so much more to it. So, yeah, definitely don't need to burden ourselves with that. Often the biggest motivator for exercise is to lose weight, right? And I know for myself I can do a kilometre in the pool per day and my weight's not shifting, but I'm feeling good. Yeah, and, and I would argue that... That feeling good, that improved self-competency and that self-confidence that you gain from going, I'm, you know, I'm swimming 1K a day in the pool, look at me go, that can then translate into other things that might help you with your weight loss journey. But I don't like talking about exercise and weight. I think it brings back the negative things, like you just said, like the, the numbers that we're chasing, the outcome measures, when actually, why don't we focus less on that and focus on doing the positive things the positive journey and if we get enough positive habits then we're going to get a good outcome these 10 minute snack size times of movement in our day putting more of those in going to the shops and parking further away so you've got to walk more yes going up the stairs instead of the lift all these little tiny things they'll all accumulate they're not just um about our heart health they're about our mind health definitely yeah And Dr. Luanne Bresendine also says, your body knows that movement will signal your brain. I am alive and well, and well-being follows. It craves movement snacks. They can be five or 10 minutes if you're too busy to do a sustained workout or don't have access. Get up and walk around the house during commercials if you're watching TV. Get off public transportation to stop early. Your brain will reward you with sharpness, alertness and protection of cognition that will last longer. I use the word function quite a lot. And again, in the medical world, it's often a bit of a dull topic. We think about how functional we are. Um, And a lot of the time it relates to our older populations when we think of being able to walk across the living room without the aid of a walking stick or something. But actually, if we think about our functional self, what we want to be able to do, I want to be able to walk and talk with a friend as I go up the stairs or or while I'm on a walk, be able to maintain conversation. Or if they say, oh, can you just go fetch that? I don't have to creak as I get up from my chair, you know, know. all these things. We do need to think about our level of function. And slowly as we get over, I'm over 30 now. And sure enough, aches and pains creep in and they'll just keep coming. But If we think about how movement can help keep us functional and actually the importance of that on our mental health. For someone with a chronic illness, arthritis, fibromyalgia like myself, is is movement still going to help us in the long run? And is it going to, uh, are these tiny little five, ten minute bursts going to make a difference? The short answer is yes, definitely. But it's so important to think about that context and to think, okay, if we have a chronic illness, movement is going to look different. And that's okay. Again, when we think about movement, it gives us the freedom to to call it movement rather than think we all have to do the same exercise. So if someone has pain in their knees, 
I'm not going to ask them to go running versus someone that's a spring chicken and loves running. So their movement will look very different. But the impact of that movement is still going to be really crucial. And we know that physical activity reduces people's pain scores. So again, going back to sort of the academics, we know that it actually reduces our perception of pain which is huge. Because of chemicals in the brain? To a degree, yes, but also it comes back to that function and our exercise capacity. If we're able to move, then managing activities of daily living become more manageable. So we'll experience less pain at our sort of baseline movement. That's yeah. to do with maybe the musculoskeletal structure. Getting out of bed can be painful, right? Exactly. And if that's all you ever do, then that task is going to remain the most painful thing you do. Yeah. Whereas actually if you gently increase your movement and you get out of bed and then you start mobilising with aid with an exercise physiologist or something, then in the mornings getting out of bed isn't the big task. And so your baseline pain score, functional score kind of creeps up it's thinking about a sort of capacity that we have interesting so movement will increase our capacity for for more movement yeah which sure is endless but if we think about it like fitness the word fitness is really our ability to cope with our environment's needs and in our modern society we don't really need to do much do we no you've got the remote control exactly everything's bluetooth you can get food delivered if we need it you can sit in your house and alexa can do everything for you so our fitness will drastically drop if that's what we do so actually we can think about movement and physical fitness emotional fitness comes into this too but if we just stick to the physical if we move more it means we'll be able to cope with more and what we then don't think about as normally fit and healthy individuals we don't think about what happens when it goes wrong what happens when we get hurt or get an illness or get hit by a car or something nasty suddenly the needs of our environment our demand is is drastically bigger and if we have built up this fitness capacity we'll be able to cope with that better and so we can think about movement as a way of sort of bulletproofing ourselves, making us more resilient so that we can meet the demands of our environment that's a very good point Uh, i recently had a fall myself too young to say i had a fall you fell didn't you (laughs) yeah i fell But it shocked me. It was a balance thing. And balance is one of the things that can become harder as we get older. I'm now balancing on one foot each day. Yeah, cool. And I found if I dance before... I do that task, I can balance a lot better. I love that you're just exploring this for yourself and playing around. This is what it should be like. We should just play around. I'm even exploring with the mind thing as well. If you smile at yourself in the mirror and dance, smile and dance like crazy for a few minutes, not long, and then I can do the balancing without my legs wobbling. I'll have to give it a go. And here's what Dr. Luanne Brizendine in her book, The Upgrade, says about smiling in the mirror. When you smile at yourself, you get the muscles around your eyes into the act. Using the mirror engages the visual cortex, the largest part of the brain, and starts a neurological feedback loop that elicits joy. It only takes 10 to 15 seconds of your own eyes twinkling back at you to make an impact. That fall scared me. Yeah, it would do. And everyone's had COVID to fear and to worry about. And a lot of people now have have come down with COVID. I've seen a lot of people get fearful because a lot of people that were otherwise not thinking about their health on a day-to-day basis, you know, I know plenty of very fit, healthy people that got COVID and had a terrible time. And they've suddenly gone, oh, maybe I'm not as 
fit as I thought I was, or or maybe bad things can still happen. Um, and it's sort of given them the the mindset to think, oh, okay, maybe I need to think about my health a little more. Am I doing all the right things? You know, do I need to check in with the doctor about my blood pressure once in a while? Or yeah, yeah it's definitely brought health, both physical and mental, to the forefront. It absolutely has. But what about those people that might have had COVID and now have long COVID? Say they've got impaired respiratory function. Is there anybody that's really disqualified from movement? Of course, there's people with disability. Yeah, of course. I'm not an an expert with any of these things. But I think that there really are very few contraindications to movement. It's just what movement we do. Just like I said, the, the example of someone with arthritis in their knees versus a runner, you know, we wouldn't give them the same movement, but we can think about what capacity we have to move and then build on that. Right. So if someone is limited that they get breathless with walking, then we can make walking the high intensity of exercise for them and build towards that. You know, there's things like chair yoga. Chair yoga? I know a lot of exercise physiologists on the coast that run chair yoga sessions for people that suffer with physical disabilities to try and lower the intensity but still get movement into that session. What benefit will that do to their bodies? I think the mental health benefits are still there and there's still the connection because it may be in group. There's the sense of achievement for actually getting through a class, a session. You may not get the benefit of the sort of intensity. Yeah, like cardio benefit. Yeah, but at the same time, if if that's the most you do, then it's probably going to be the same as what you might feel is is your cardio. Mm. You know, if that's actually takes some intensity for you to move through a chair yoga session, then you are going to feel like you've had a workout because it's just at your capacity. Mm. If I sat in a chair and, and did chair yoga, it would probably be quite hard for me to get out of breath. But it might still get someone's heart rate up a little bit and, and get them feeling a bit warmer, which we know would then infer a benefit. But also it's that sense of achievement too and the mental health benefits. Yeah. We can't underestimate the mental health benefits here. I think it's huge. And one of the things with depression, and this neuropsychiatrist talks about this as well, there's actually a part in our brain when we're depressed makes us curl up on the couch and not want to move and actually sometimes not be able to move. But then movement is the antidote. It is, isn't it? And it's so hard. And a lot of people know that the right thing to do is also the hard thing to do sometimes. And so one way is to try and limit the barriers to that movement or to the antidote. And then another way is to try and find people or things that can help motivate us to do it. I like to think of our our healthcare team. And a lot of people don't want to be reaching out to professionals But I'm all for extra support. I think if we want to do something, if we want to get somewhere, why not get people to help? And we're so lucky, especially in a sort of our Western culture that has exercise physiologists, physiotherapists, personal trainers. There are some amazing ones on the coast. We've got doctors like myself that have an interest in this. And a lot of GPs are so much more focused on lifestyle as well now. And then we've got dietitians as well who can help connect our diet and our exercise for a lot of people that are having that battle with weight loss. I know there's probably people listening that think, I can't afford that. What would you say to them? How many of those specialties that you're talking about can people access for free? Yeah, good point. I think very few, unfortunately. I've come from the NHS in the UK, which was a wonderful system, although pulled to it seems, but a lot of that access was free, whereas over here there are fees. That being said, my number one point is to talk to their GP because GPs can write care plans that can then get rebates. You can have five sessions with an allied health professional that then you have a rebate for. So that then really increases your access to seeing 
the physio, the chiro, the exercise physiologist, the dietitian. And it also helps give you a focus because if you've spoken to a GP, they're now your key person to go to. You sort of say, here, this is my plan. You've voiced it. These are the challenges I want to tackle. And then you employ other people to help in that. And it gives you sort of something to come back to whilst also reducing the cost to seeing those professionals. Can you tell us about the Central Coast's biggest step challenge? This is the Move Against Cancer, back for 2022. You ran this in 2020? Yeah, I ran this in 2020, 2021 as well. Um, And so third year running this year. How much did you raise last year? Raised over $100,000 for Cancer Council last year. Wow. They're a non-government funded organisation, so they're really transparent about sort of where they get their money and, and where it goes, which I think is just so important. And they really value that because it means that they sort of have more control over where they can put the fundraising, whether it goes into research or whether it goes into supporting families on their cancer journeys. You started this in 2020, which is in COVID. Yes. Yeah. I think the first one I did must have been just outside of lockdown last year's was in lockdown Uh, so the one that we raised a hundred thousand dollars was during a time of of restrictions I was actually down in the snowy Monaro in Cooma working as a a locum doctor in emergency but I was running the challenge for my community up here and I think because of those restrictions people were so much more keen to go out walking when gyms were locked down and all our normal things were locked down, people started realising the value of simple movement a bit more for their mental health. And so the challenge really took off, even though no one was doing it together, they were virtually connected and everyone was doing the step challenge. So how does it work? You go to the website. My website is do-more.live. And on there, there's a link to Move Against Cancer. That takes you through to the Cancer Council website. And I'm asking people to register as teams. And so if anyone wants to be a team captain, they register for $10. They create a team and then they invite others to join their team. They can just send the link out to their friends. And that's really, that's the the hardest part to it. The next part is that you just link a device that records your steps. So a lot of us have that, whether it be our phone through a health app or whether it be a smartwatch. And if you need, you can get a super cheap pedometer. You can get them for less than $5 if you're literally just getting the, the cheapest thing and you just want to be a part of the challenge, then that's what I'd recommend. So what is the actual challenge? The challenge itself is to try and get as many steps as you can through September. And so to do that, it's just a case of tracking and recording your steps. And I've found that in the last couple of years, it's such a prompt to get people out walking. You'll see people before bed, they go, oh, I haven't got my 10,000 today so they take themselves for a walk around the block or I've had videos sent to me of people going up and down their stairs because they've not got as many steps as they wanted that day. I don't want to set a target for anyone. I'm glad you're saying that when you say the word 10,000 steps. I know I don't want it again it's like the barriers to exercise. To me I'm like oh well I can't do 10,000 so I won't do it right? Yeah so that's where actually I try not to say there's no target. So people can be part of this even if they cannot walk 10,000. Completely. I've found the people that get most out of it are those that are actually getting two to 3,000 steps in their average day because they then, they join, they realise, oh, okay, I'm getting two to 3,000 steps a day. There shouldn't be any judgment or you shouldn't think, oh, this is terrible, I, I can't compete. It's not about that. What the challenge can then help you to do is find ways of increasing that capacity. You mentioned a few of them, you know, you can park further away at the shops. You can even just take longer at the shops if that's something that gets yeah. your steps. You can try and take the stairs rather than the lift. 
And that doesn't mean if you're going up six floors, you've got to do six flights of stairs. You can get the lift to the fourth floor and do two flights. That's true. There's so many small ways of increasing our step count. And I found that people get the biggest benefit when they're actually coming from a lower end of the scale. I would encourage everyone to get involved. So how do you want people to think about this? With my basic principle of moving more. I want people to use this as a way just to become more aware of their movement and a step count as much as it doesn't account for all of our movement. It's a really good way of seeing how active we are in a day. And so it's just bringing our awareness to our level of activity and the challenge gives us an incentive to try and be more active. I'm going to do this challenge. Love it. But I'll be swimming and I'll be in the pool. But where I would have normally ticked the box and thought, well, I've done the swim, I will find a way to put more walking into September. So I'll be swimming and walking. I won't get the 10,000 because of the time spent in the pool. But to me, I'm going to see it as, well, anything I do for this challenge is is better than not doing it. Any steps I do tomorrow, you know, if I didn't do well today, the steps I do tomorrow will be better than today. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's how I want people to think about it. And that will carry forward. You'll find that whatever healthy habits you pick up from September, from Move Against Cancer, you'll think, actually, I might be able to implement that all the time. I park further away when I shop now, but what's almost five minutes of walking to the front of the shop, I find that's a really good mindfulness sort of time for me, rather than parking, rushing in, doing the shopping, getting back out. I actually just park further away. If the sun's out, I'm enjoying the sun. And I just find that walking is really simple. And so that's a tiny change, but I now do that consistently. We definitely feel better for movement. Register is step one. Yep, register step one and then tracking your steps. Step three is sponsorship, right? Because we, you want to raise money for the Cancer Council. Yeah. How do people ask for sponsorship? I'd say... I'm doing a step challenge. I'm walking as many steps as I can in September. And I'd love it if you could support me. Right. And that's it. You can send your team page link. You can send your personal page link. Or you can just ask them to visit the website. Donating's super easy. Well, people obviously have to record their steps. It's an honour system, right? That's it, yeah. What I've done in the last couple of years is for the ones that win the top prizes, because I'm trying to incentivise people to be on board, I have asked for evidence, which I hate that I have to do. And everyone understands. But last year, one of the winners, I think she did 1.5 million steps in a month or something. She was doing about 50,000 steps a day. Oh my goodness. Is that too many? Well, no, it's not for her. For you and I, tomorrow to suddenly just do 50,000 steps onwards, we'd probably be pretty knackered. But I think she works as a disability worker or a support worker. And so with clients, takes them for walks regularly. And on top of that, she's an ultramarathon runner and she runs 10K a day. Amazing. So she is super fit. I spoke to her and I said, I hope you don't mind. But a few people have messaged and said, surely you're fudging the numbers. She can't be doing that. Do you mind just sending me screenshots of your device or whatever so she sent me some screenshots of her Garmin app that showed how many steps she's doing and it was easy for me to just go okay cool there's the sort of honor code she's she's not lied about it it's an insane amount of steps Um, amazing so okay let's talk about prizes what sort of prizes are there this year 2022 this year for the top individual steppers we've got a 250 voucher for a pair of running shoes from athletes foot then we've got top team steppers they will get vouchers at coastal goddess is that all the prizes we're sort of getting a few more together and i'll also be buying a garmin watch for one of the individual prizes but we're going to announce all the prizes in the first week of the challenge but you find people are more motivated to do this just before the cancer council fundraising yeah definitely i thought the prizes would be the main incentivizer and actually those that have done the challenge before 
get so much out of it. The money raised for Cancer Council is huge. And, and sadly, so many people have a cancer story, whether it's their own or close family. They do. Do you have anybody in your world with a cancer story? I have a few, yeah, um, both sort of professionally and, and personally. Is there some story for you that led you to do this? For me, I think I didn't really think of it as a cancer story, but my dad died of a brain tumour. I think when it was first diagnosed, it technically wasn't cancerous. It was more benign. It was a tumour that was localised to the space it was in. But unfortunately, when he died, it had metastasized to the other side of his brain as well. Oh, it's awful. He survived for four years, and the mortality rate of this tumour was sort of 95% in the first year. He did amazingly, and he was always a huge role model for me. Used to love running. He was in the army, always kept super fit. And I got a lot of my motivation to keep fit from him. Yeah, so he, unfortunately, he got this diagnosis he was out for a run and this story really for me exaggerates why exercise and movement is important he was out running and he kept on bumping into bushes and usually you wouldn't do that naturally when you're out walking or running you can know where you're going and he realized why am I keep walking into these bushes and he then sort of checked in with his wife and said something's not quite right I keep on drifting off onto the left side and I don't know why and he had developed what's called inattention And so when we've got problems with our brain, sometimes, especially when it affects our occipital lobe, where our visual cortex is, our brain isn't aware that we're not seeing things. Right. I'm probably explaining this poorly, but essentially his visual field, he was missing the left side of his vision, but he didn't know he was. So that's why he's bumping into things. He's thinking he's going in the middle and actually he's sort of just drifting off left because his visual field is has shifted because his brain isn't aware that his he's lost a bit of his visual field and that was because of a a brain tumor so it was because he was out running and he was functional because he was able to do all these things that he was realizing something's not quite right saw his doctor got a scan and unfortunately got a a diagnosis of a, a brain tumor and that sort of started his cancer journey do you think it would have been longer for diagnosis had he not been moving i'm certain that would have been the case I think we underestimate how being functional, doing a lot with our body, our mind, we then realise when things aren't going quite right, which helps us then identify problems. Very sorry to hear about your dad. He died a few years ago. Was this before you became a doctor? Sadly so, yes. Yeah, he didn't see me graduate. So he died in, I think it was my fourth year of medical school. He was always just unconditionally proud of what I was doing. And it was just such such a positive force for what I was doing. And... He set the stage for me to be fit and move, which I loved. And then it was through medical school, or actually it was, it was through my first years as a doctor, that I then went, oh, wow, exercise is really important. I wish I had known the benefits to mental health, and not just mental health, but this neuropsychiatrist is talking about brain health. Exercises actually can help prevent or slow down cognitive decline. Yes, yeah, it's huge. And I thought, why is that message not out there? Why is everything about exercise all about perfect body perfect muscles instagram worthy it's ripping people off it is isn't it especially because the majority of the population aren't those people the the majority of us are people that have low days and have bad mental health days and are forgetful or or as you've talked about in in the last podcast going through sort of brain fog because of perimenopausal changes yeah we're all going through stuff yet for some reason the exercise focus is on this 1% of the population. I detest going into a gym and seeing people sort of being intimidating and posing and making others feel unwelcomed 
because they might not be the same body type. It's for everyone. Exactly. And yeah, the messaging has been off. I'm, I'm not sure why we're missing it, but yeah, it reduces cognitive decline, reduces dementia, you know, improves our sort of functionality. So reduces our risk of falls, things like that. Like there's so many other things. If someone's sitting there that has maybe been sedentary for most of their life, will they still reap the benefits if they start moving in their mid midlife? Definitely. And I would take it one step further. I would say that they will see more benefits from coming from a place of sedentary to active as someone that's always been active. For, for me to, to get the feel-good hormones, to, to get the improved mental health and the physical health from my state of physical activity... If I move more, I don't gain much more. Whereas at the lower end of the spectrum, that sitting on the couch most of the day, the change in movement there doesn't have to be much and it has a huge impact. That's where we see the biggest change in both mental and physical health. So I would argue, actually, they're the ones that I want to encourage most and they're the ones that will see the biggest benefit. Right, the long-term sedentary. Yeah. Sedentary is such a negative word. really is, isn't it? Yeah. Less active, maybe. Yeah, less active. I, th- I really hate the word lazy. Oh, definitely. Especially when we have such a better insight into mental health now and then we know that l- most lazy people are having their own turmoil and, and there's lots of challenges. So And the judging of people's weight and size. Sometimes people are overweight because they've done a lifetime of caring for other people and not caring for themselves. Completely, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm guilty of that. And then you suddenly wake up and go, well, actually, it's time that I put some focus on myself here and my health in physical and mental. Yes, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about the step challenge? When does it kick off? We don't have the date. Oh, that's important. The step challenge starts on the 1st of September. And if people want to register in September, that's fine too. So if people listen to this podcast and its step challenge has already started, they can jump on and join. They can still get involved, yeah. And they can always send me a message and I can guide them through it. Like My goal here is to get as many people involved. The other benefits will come. So they're moving more. That would come by just being involved. The fundraising, that's a sort of happy byproduct. And it seems to just take care of itself. So definitely... The Step Challenge starts on the 1st of September but can get involved at any time and I can guarantee they'll still get something out of it. At the end of the Step Challenge, is there any event where everybody comes together? Hoping to organise something. So the Step Challenge finishes, I think, on a Friday, 30th September. But I'm looking to do weekly walks on Saturdays. And I'll change the times and I'll change the locations to try and get as many people involved. You know, and they don't have to come to all of them, but people can come and bring their friends or just come and meet me and I'll take people out for a walk. Great. It's a new thing you're starting. Yeah, so I couldn't do it last year naturally because of the restrictions. This year we'll still be cautious because there's still so much flu and COVID and everything around. But I think it's a great thing to get people involved. And also talking about reducing the barriers and the sort of the stigma on exercise. If people can see a whole group of people walking and doing the same, positive thing together and thinking oh yeah this is pretty cool and not just people walking but people of different sizes sometimes people don't get out there and walk because they don't have the perfect body but it's so important for the body it's so important for the body it's so important for the mind and that single superficial look shouldn't be what stops us doing something when we think oh I'll just walk to the end of the street and back that's all I've got time for when we think oh but that's not really going to make a difference think about me saying it will (laughs) how do we we reframe that why don't we trial and error rather than trying to overthink it I would ask people 
to go and give it a go. So bringing curiosity yes, yeah. into the story. Almost like the way that you're exploring balance and smiling and dancing in the mirror. You know, Why don't you just try these things out and be mindful as to how we feel before and after. Go for a short walk, even if it's not with a friend, just go for a walk around the block. It will potentially seem a bit silly. It might seem like, is there any point to this? I would encourage people to be curious, playful, try something different. It's going to be unusual, and so you might feel a bit silly. But that's what happens with any change. So when you say to your friends that say, join me for coffee, why don't you say, why don't we go for a walk with a coffee? Fantastic, yes. And your friend might go, but we've always just sat down for a coffee. A bit of change is always going to be uncomfortable, but see how you feel. and. Yeah guarantee everyone will start feeling better for that better yeah all right you have a blog so where's your blog found so my blog is on my where everything's found on my website um so that is do-more.live bit of a weird name name but i wanted to stick with do more and what will people find as far as help with activities articles the first thing that greets you when you go onto the website is a beautiful picture of our shore and it's a picture over the haven I think from Terrigal and it says explore physical activity and it's not saying exercise and it's not intense message it's why don't we check out what's around us the main thing on my website is a search engine a directory for physical activity so any movement business on the central coast is on the website and so if you're looking for something different to do whether it's dancing I've recently had Scottish dancing country club something sign up there's just so much out there and even I'm exploring more things and going this is so cool I've done pole dancing pole dancing yeah why not I do something different how did you find that really really hard (laughs) really hard on the core yeah so has the central coast really got a lot to offer I think it's incredible. The Central Coast has so much to offer. And part of that you can see on my website because there's a map and it's got all the little pins of the different businesses and there's over 600 pins. What? There's so much out there. There's lots of yoga studios. There's lots of Pilates studios. There's lots of gyms. So there's the sort of mainstream exercise. Then there's sports development as well. So there's sports clubs with different grades. And then there's dance and there's so many varieties of dance and then there's personal trainers that that have their own interests and so I know a personal trainer that's really interested in just the basics of movement so rarely uses weights or anything it's just about exploring movement oh that sounds interesting who's that so that's a guy called Ben Uh, he's meditative monkey on social media meditative monkey yeah he's very mindful about movement and you know and then there's the water-based stuff we live on a coast there's so much we've got paddle boarding surfing I'm about to start hydro rider classes cool I've got my aqua shoes I've got all I've got the goggles it's all ready to go there you go so all I've got to do is actually get in the car and go to one it's Um, often the hardest step yeah so I will be adding that into my world. I think when we think we don't have time to exercise, we actually do. We definitely do. A big part of that is how we frame exercise. And how we say, if I do this, I'm going to feel better. Even if I don't get results on the scales, I'm going to feel better. Yeah. And I think we should strive for that first. And then if we need help with losing weight or, or a particular goal whether it's an aesthetic goal, then we can start to explore that. Rather than starting with the, I'm going to lose 15 Ks, I'm going to, I'm going to run, you know, five miles a day, and then you, then you have an injury, and then you lose motivation. Yeah, whereas actually if we say, I just want to run more, you know, or I want to insert healthy movement, whatever it is. For me, I'm still, I need to try and do, I need, I framed that wrong. I want to try and do 
more yoga pilates sort of gentle movement because i know that that helps me both mindfully and helps my body recover um but i keep putting it off so i'm gonna try and do that okay and now i want to get to something else here that's important you said on your website where you introduce yourself after a light bulb moment with an intensive care consultant in the uk i've dedicated my career to improving how active we can all be now this is an interesting statistic just got that out there. The World Health Organization recommends just 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity each week, something 55% of adults in Australia are not achieving. It's mad, isn't it? It's There's so much to that statement. First of all, the statistics, I was going to struggle with it then. This is where I find that medicine can get really boring. Even the fact that the statement is moderate intensity physical activity. So many people go, what is that? We need to find better ways. The reason it's that statement is because it's accurate. Whereas I will sometimes use less accurate language, but it's more sort of intuitive, like movement. You know, I'll say movement rather than exercise. So moderate intensity physical activity is movement where we feel our heart rate go up and we start to feel a bit warmer, but we can still say maintain conversation. That's the level of activity we're talking about. But even if we can't do that or can't do that yet, you still want people to move. Yes, yeah. I would argue that most people can find a way of getting their body warm through movement. Our perception of what's intense for us will be different. So what I find moderate intensity physical activity will be different to you, which will be different to anyone else we meet. So it's very individualised. So we're thinking about what is that moderate intensity? What gets you warm but doesn't get you absolutely puffing? You can still maintain a conversation. And the goal is to do 150 minutes per week. So that's five lots of 30 minutes. And when you think about it like that, we're starting to loosen the reins on what exercise is. We just need to find times to move. But that also makes it a bit more depressing then that 55% of Australians aren't reaching that. You're seeing this in the ER? Yeah. I didn't think I would. My expectation of emergency medicine before I stepped into it was that I'd see people that fell off of ladders and, you know, were in car accidents and all these was accident and emergency because that's what it's called in the UK. And actually, I would say from my experience... 80, 90% maybe of patients that I see in emergency have long-term health issues and they're presenting with a short-term complication of the long-term problem. For instance, if they're diabetic and they've got an ulcer on their foot because of their diabetes and it's got infected. So that's not an accident. That's what we call an acute complication of a chronic illness. And it's these chronic preventable illnesses where exercise and lifestyle changes play a huge role. So amazingly, in emergency, I'm seeing so many people that would benefit from moving more. And somewhat's a bit depressing, but it's also enthuses me, empowers me to go, okay, what I'm doing, promoting exercise can be really valuable. It can help people even in emergency. Let's go back to the light bulb moment because we haven't unpacked that. So my light bulb moment. I was working in intensive care. It was in Southampton. There were 26 beds on this unit and they have the capacity to have sometimes one-to-one nurses. So these patients are very unwell. Often they've got a tube and they're attached to a ventilator. So they've got a tube into their airway. The machine is breathing for them. Sometimes they've got drugs pumping to help their heart beat. These are very unwell patients, the sickest in the hospital. And my job as a junior, I was a second year doctor, is to go around and and basically do an assessment of the patient, talk to the nurse about the patient, see what the problems are for the day, what are our goals, what are we trying to achieve, and then feed that back to the consultant who says, okay, we're on track or we need to change things. And the consultants were always so clever. And in Southampton, they were heavily involved in research and 
they were such great role models, so intelligent. Every ward round I had with this Professor Levitt would start and the first patient I'd go to present and, and I'd get all nervous and think, oh, I've got to you know, show that I'm aware of what's going on with this patient. So I'd say, this is a 45-year-old male that's come in with XYZ and I'd start telling it. And she'd say, what's their exercise tolerance? I'd think, I can tell you the ventilator settings, I can tell you the amount of midazolam and morphine and propofol and all these other drugs that are going through, I can tell you, you know, what their inflammatory markers are and all these other things, but I had no idea about their exercise tolerance and I couldn't ask the patient because they were sedated. How did she think you would know? Doing a bit of detective work. We often get handed over the story from emergency staff when they've transferred the patient up, or we can talk to relatives, we can find out about this patient. But I hadn't looked, I didn't think it was relevant. I didn't really know. And she asked me, so what's this patient's exercise tolerance? And I thought, this doesn't seem relevant. And she'd then say, why do you think it's important for me to know their exercise tolerance? And I'm there, blank-faced, deer in headlights, no idea. And she then started telling me about the importance of our physical fitness and the importance of therefore physical activity and exercise because if you are fit when you get into an injury or or an illness your survivorship your chance of coming out of that is so much higher really so so much higher and she was even quoting data of your survival rate in ICU for you to be unwell enough to go to ICU things are pretty bad and naturally not everyone survives going to ICU because if you were that unwell in the first place you may not make it out the other side sadly and I can't remember the facts and figures but she was able to say that basically if we're fitter we have a better chance of surviving intensive care we have a better chance of surviving a car accident I mean it all made sense to me and it all sounded so simple unbelievably simple that I didn't need a medical degree to know that. What was the purpose of you finding out that information? For us in intensive care that meant that if someone came in and before they came to hospital they couldn't move out of their chair they were restricted in their chair they had a long-term lung illness they were attached to oxygen at home they barely moved their chance of getting home was very limited so it's for you to communicate to family yeah to communicate to family and to also have healthy goal settings because if i'm trying to make a marathon runner out of someone that's you know chronically disabled at home then that's unfair on them and and if I was them I'd probably want to be pain-free and comfortable rather than have a doctor trying to be a hero so it's about actually understanding our expectations and the same way goes the other way that if someone comes in and they're in a nasty car accident but if they were fit as a fiddle ultra marathon runner so it does help with prognosis then we yeah we can then go this person might have a better chance and we need to keep pushing so there's an expectation level, but also just for us as right now, Touchwood, healthy individuals, knowing the value of exercise for our overall health. Yeah. I just For me, it, it blew me away and I just wanted to be more involved in it. I wanted to throw away the clever stuff that I was learning and I wanted to just go back to the basics and go, we just need to encourage people to move. That's the panacea here. Have you got some really great turnaround stories? So in emergency, I don't see them again. The step challenge has been a really good focus for that. And people have messaged me and said that I've had someone that's sort of had a social anxiety disorder that has felt that they're able to get outside more and they've started joining a weekly walking group. And that's huge. On your website, it says that Dr. Dumore is inviting you to join thousands of healthcare professionals all over the world and purchase a Hello My Name Is name badge. Badges will be $10 each. 
with any profit from this donation going towards Cancer Council New South Wales. Can you just briefly tell us about that and how that came about? Yeah, of course. In the UK, it was a bigger initiative. It was started by the late Dr. Kate Granger. She died, unfortunately. She was a geriatrician. I never had the pleasure of meeting her. And she had her own patient story. So she became a patient and realised that the communication in hospital was pretty shocking. And yeah, you've experienced this. I have. I see it every day and it's a big focus for me now. People will walk into your bed space. Doctors, healthcare staff would tap on your machines, ask you some questions and leave. And you might never know who they are and in emergency especially this is one of the scariest times of your life as a patient and unfortunately it's a common story and and the the key thing here is to know that it's not that these healthcare professionals don't care or aren't doing their job but I feel that the weight on those soft skills that acknowledgement that telling you a name or even just checking in and saying we know you're here. I'm sorry, it's a long wait. And we're seeing that more and more. We've at both hospitals on the Central Coast, there's an employee now that is in the waiting room and is basically there to say, don't worry, you're on the list, like you're not forgotten. And they feed back to the doctors and the nurses. Hello, my name is, I think it's what Kate realised she wanted people to just say when they came in. Hello, my name is, and then their name. And so she put that on a name tag with her husband, Chris, and they've made this easy cute little logo and it says hello my name is and then on the name badges it it says your name and it's the name that you want to be called which is important as well so on mine it doesn't say Dr Bowden it says Ash because I want people just to say hi Ash and I didn't think much of it when I got my name badge in the UK I wore it most days I think a lot of people had it it didn't really seem to matter that much until I came to emergency in Australia and I would have a conversation with a patient and the amount of times I'd find a patient just before I was leaving and I'd say, do you have any other questions? I said, no. They'd look down at my name badge and then back up at me and they'd say, thanks, Ash. It was such a powerful moment and I've really felt that. And it was the same with staff. It's not just patients. Colleagues that I work with, that I wouldn't know their name and they'd see mine and they'd do the same thing. And, you know, we'd try and pretend that I hadn't seen them checking my name, but that's fine. And so we're now communicating each other by name and it just made communication and almost like the culture in the department so much better. Your final message to people listening to the podcast regarding the September challenge or movement in general? Movement in general like you've said trying to explore movement more not set a big outcome and just seeing how we can do more that will always be my message. Well thank you Dr Do More, Ash and uh, thank you for being a guest on Central Coast Stories. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. And Dr. Ash says about the Step Challenge, with so many health benefits to moving your body more, we invite you to join us as we work towards making this event the biggest annual Step Challenge on the Central Coast. Whether you want to walk slow or fast, short distances or long distances, we just want you to move more. This challenge is for everyone and you don't just have to live on the Central Coast to be involved. If you hear this episode and it's already started, don't worry, you can still join Uh, You can just reach out to Dr. Ash Bowden via his website and you can join at any time. And also, every dollar raised from the Step Challenge will help make an incredible difference to the thousands of Australians and their families that are affected by cancer every single day. If our discussions about illness or ICU... Uh, loss of a loved one, raised any issues for you or someone you love, please call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue 1300 22 4636.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. The next episode of Central Coast Stories will publish in September. Please share the episode, but all information in today's episode is copyright. Contact me for republishing permissions at centralcoaststories at gmail.com. And special thanks again to artist Elena Parishko for my beautiful artwork that you see featured on Central Coast Stories. Her website is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.